everybody. You guys are talking this morning. This is good. So if everybody could kind of grab a seat. Welcome. Welcome to the Grove. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. It is awesome to be with you. I, um, you know, my kids have been so quiet this summer break that it's a shame that school starts in 16 days. I mean, they haven't been fighting at all. They, um, they've kept their rooms really clean. It's almost like they haven't even been home, but I'm really sad that we can't continue the summer bliss, but they are going back to school. So <laughs> have you ever seen that mom that takes the photos of like her kid's first day of school and she's like, that's going to be me. Um, I've got one more though. One more. Roby's pulling up the end. So she's not quite school yet, but one is better than four. So, you know, like if I have one at home, it'll be a little different. I was working on the message this week and I came down to church and was running all around and I literally like came and I locked myself in the office and I think I sat and stared at a wall. I don't even know. It was probably at 15 minutes before my brain even came alive. So it came alive and, um, and then, you know, I get to hang out with you guys this morning. So we're going to be continuing on in our series. I, I'm Jody, by the way, should introduce myself. Um, I am connected to that guy, Jeff, back there. Um, and so I'm going to be talking with you all today. We're going to be continuing with our story, the, the, the story of God told by a tax collector and picking up in Matthew chapter 18. But I first want to say a sincere thanks to Jeff because I feel like he, on purpose, like landed me on these passages. So thank you, because we're going to be talking about the really easy topic of, uh, there's two practices in, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, um, and we get to talk about them today. So accountability and forgiveness. I mean, they're super easy. I'm sure every one of you is like, I got this. Like, we're all so good at forgiving one another. And, um, and I'm sure you guys love confrontation or when someone confronts you. It's like, it's a really super easy topic. So thank you, Jeff, for allowing me to pick us up in Matthew. Um, so first, before we get going, I want to show you guys a picture. Uh, so, so this is my grandma. And this week she turned 97. 97, y'all. And that's my, that is my beautiful mom, who my mom is right there. So my grandma, Baddock, she's 97 this week. And she was, her and my grandfather were married for 75 years. And he, he passed away. So his name was Andrew. So Roby Drew, our littlest one, that's who she's named after. But my grandma, um, Emily, she uh, taught me a lot about vegetables. So she's like kind of where I got my love for vegetables. But she also taught me about a lot about life. She was a, a mother of five boys, um, my dad being one of them. And she, like, she probably has given me the best life and marriage advice that anyone has ever given me. So this is really big. So if you're taking notes, like you want to write this down, this is like the best thing I'm going to say all day. So I would, I would always say, you know, Grandma, like, how have you been married for so long? Like, what is your secret? You know, because she was just kind of very... It's very serious. Like, I think my dad and, like, my uncles were all, like, afraid of her because she was just, like, for real. She's from Czechoslovakia. Um, And she would say, I can tell you, I can sum up marriage for you, like, easy. I can just tell you exactly what you need to do, Jody. You ready? I'm like, yeah, okay, please. Tell me, like, what's, give me your wisdom. And she would say, forgive fast. And I was like, that's it? Like, that's your, that's your secret? (laughs) She's like, yeah, that's my secret. That's how you stay married. You forgive fast. And, and honestly, like, I, I've never forgot her telling me that, and it probably is the best advice that, that, she, that anyone has ever given me. Because if you think about how we have to move through life, 
not only in marriage, but in all relationships, you know, unless you live on an island and you literally have no interaction with anyone in humanity, which is, I don't see, like you guys are here, so that's not true for you. So you, you and I are interacting with one another. We're constantly moving in our worlds with each other. And whether it's in very close relationships with our spouses or our children or our close loved ones, or even, you know, maybe this, the person that you see at the coffee shop or the grocery store, you're always moving relationally. And if we don't learn how to forgive fast, like what happens? We grow things like bitterness and anger and resentment. And we, and we distance ourselves from that, that connection in humanity. So my grandma, you know, she gave me that advice and I wanted to pass it on to you because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. So in Matthew chapter 18, we're continuing on this story. And what's happening is, is like, I love this, this part of, of how we see Jesus's life coming, coming and evolving right before us, because he's giving us these little life practices again and again. And he's, you know, he's wanting his disciples to pay attention and he's wanting the crowds to listen. And he's, he's telling you like, this is how life is going to be. Like, you're going to have to learn how to do this because the reward, the reward for relationship is love. So the, the reward for like what we're all journeying towards is that we are able to know and experience love, like with one another, that we're able to give it as much as we're able to receive it. And so Jesus is saying, like, I need, I need you guys to pay attention because when I go, go away from you, you're going to have to know how to move around this earth and love one another. And so we're going to talk about that today. He gives us these two practices emphasized in this passage. And I think a lot of times we ignore them because when you think of accountability and you think of forgiveness, accountability turns your stomach, you know? It, it's one of those things that's so uncomfortable when someone comes to you and, and says, I really need to tell you something, or, or you've offended me, or you hurt me, or perhaps when you have to be the person that says that to someone else. I mean, no one wants to do that. Like, we avoid it at all costs. You know, none of us are sitting around and, oh, I can't wait for the next person I get to confront. I mean, no one is doing that. Like, if you're doing that, you're weird. You know, that's not happening. <laughs> but honestly, in Scripture, what we see, and we not only see this in what Jesus teaches, but we see this, like, in the writings of Paul. We see this in all throughout the, the New Testament, that life, like, the way that we thrive in life is in community with other people. The way that we are actually able to live and display the life message of Jesus is when we're in community with other people. And so accountability is part of that, right? Like, we have to get to the place where we're willing to say what's uncomfortable. We have to get to the place where we're willing to receive what's uncomfortable about ourselves. And then the, the partner in this, this passage is then forgiveness. And, and, and again, no one is saying that forgiveness is so easy because we all know that's not true. But even as Jesus, like, moved and, and ministered and loved crowds of people and retreated in times of solitude— he showed us time and time again what it was to forgive. I mean, would you not have been so irritated by the Pharisees if you were Jesus? Right? I mean, they were like these nagging, annoying little gang like that was just trying to always, you know, get him or put him on the spot. And time and time again, like, he shows us this peaceful— I feel like I'm really buzzing you, like, or doing— Is something—is this weird? Good? I mean, good? Maybe it's just me? Good. It's just me. Okay, I'll keep talking. But even as, you know, Jesus moves through his ministry and we see him to the point of, of death, what does he say when he's on the cross? 
he says, Father, forgive them, right? So even all the way to the point of the very end of his life on this earth, he takes the opportunity to speak that because it's so important for us to pay attention to. That even in that moment where he could have turned hard and and been angry towards what was happening to him, his response and what he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he shows us once again how important that is to our lives. With accountability, we might assume that someone else will do it so that maybe we're off the hook, that if if someone else would probably do it, then we can just ignore maybe what's going on in ourselves and in other people. And then with forgiveness, you know, often it comes down to our anger and us wanting to be right. You know, the rightness that we have that keeps us from repairing those relationships that are so critical. But regardless, either way, the topic of accountability, the practice of forgiveness, both of these, when we leave them unchecked, when we don't pay attention to them, when we don't take care of them, that the outcome in our worlds is destruction, is pain, is carrying around these weighted feelings, uh, uh, you know, of brokenness that seem irreparable. And so it's, in, it's, in, it's extremely important that we pay attention to what Jesus is teaching us here. Asking ourselves the question, is the pain of relationships, because we all know that that's true, is it worth the risk to experience the love that God promises us? Is the journey towards loving other people and learning to love people that are difficult to love, is it worth the risk to be able to experience what Jesus promises us in his gospel? I'm doing something wrong, I know. Put it out? Okay. Because it's like clicking constantly, so it's like, it's like I'm trying to like tap my head and rub my stomach at the same time, but I'm trying to talk to you guys, and it's, and it's okay, okay. Sorry. Um, so we're going to pick up where we're going to read this passage in Matthew. And I want you guys to listen. And I'm choosing to read it to you intentionally from the message translation because it reads just like a story, which is what I believe Jesus does best. He tells us these beautiful stories and he wants us to pay attention. So we're going to imagine that Jesus is speaking these words and he's telling us this story about how we live and move in community with one another. So Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 15. And the first section here is talking about accountability. How do we keep each other accountable? If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, then you start over from scratch And you confront him with the need for repentance and offer God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes on heaven. And no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I love that sentence. I mean this. When the two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you get together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there. So God is with us. The story about forgiveness. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, well, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. 
And he got underway, and one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000, and he couldn't pay it. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife and children and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the, the king's feet, and he begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let, let him off, and he erased all his debt. The servant was no sooner out when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. And he seized the man by the throat and he demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and he begged, you know, please give me another chance and I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid of $10. When the other servants saw that this was going on, they were outraged and they brought this detail to the king. The king summoned the man and he said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked you for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. So I heard it once said that Einstein said this, so I... Like, I heard it that Einstein said this, so I don't know if he actually said this, but I'm going to say it to you. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. So if you think of, like, the moments when you get really angry at someone or your kids start fighting. I mean, have you ever tried to solve an argument when you're angry? How'd that go? Right? Like, if Jeff and I are just, like, battling it out and I'm like, but we need to solve this problem. It doesn't, it doesn't ever work. Okay? So you can never solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created it. So whatever brought on the original moment of pain, whatever brought on or introduced in your life the original moment of brokenness, if you try to solve that problem out of that same feeling or that same, you know, anger that kind of like the fire that just like lit up in, in that moment, it never works. It gets explosive. We, we, we get our feelings hurt, we say things we don't mean, and we end up wounding that other person greater than we ever intended to. So if our problems can't be solved from that same level, from that same moment, the original moment of however the problem occurred between you and this other person, what do we need to do in order to go back and solve it? Probably the best, you know, example that I can think of is just because I have children and I have four of them. You know, they fight all the time. There's, there's always somebody fighting, somebody stealing a toy, somebody, you know, doing something that looking at the, the, the person across them at the dinner table. I mean, it's awful. The best thing that you can do as a parent is not insist that they solve it right then, but to give your children the ability to have the space, Right. You need to go to your room. You need to go cool off. Maybe go take a walk. And then you guys come back together and you try to figure out where it is or can we say, I'm sorry, I forgive you. We allow ourselves the ability to, to be removed from whatever it was that was making us so angry in the moment. I actually really believe that all great spirituality is about letting go. So if you think of all the things that we try to add to our lives to be spiritual people, it's kind of like this big addition problem. You know, we, we, we imagine that if we do this more or we exercise this practice more or we're better at this or we, we worship harder or pray longer or memorize all of scripture, whatever, that we will be more spiritual people. And in actuality, 
the whole journey of faith and the whole journey of discovering who God is and, and knowing what he is to you as your creator, as your friend, as your guide, is letting things go, is taking away the things and subtracting the things in your world that are causing pain for you. And when we begin to take off those layers of things of hurt, the things that have not made sense to us, and we're able to lay them to, to God, we're able to give them over, a whole new thing happens in our relationship with him. The same thing goes in friendships and relationships with your spouse and your family members. When you're able to say, I, I, I care more about a relationship with you than being right, so I'm going to let this go. I, my care and my concern for you is, is far deeper than being right in this situation that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. There is a shift in our spirits that needs to happen for healing and for new direction to come. And we see this in these, these stories that Jesus is saying. He has a servant. He shows this king who has a servant who owes $100,000. And that king gives mercy to the servant and says, your debt is forgiven, now go. And this man turns around and holds over this, the debt of another servant for $10 and refuses to let him off the hook. It doesn't make any sense. You know, obviously you read it and you think, well, that's crazy. Why would he do that? Didn't he learn from that? But we do this. And this is why Jesus is telling us this story. We have been forgiven much. And we will continue to be forgiven much. But it's very tempting for us to hang on to what others have done to us instead of learning to let that go. There's this beautiful quote that I love about wisdom. And it's, it's from Father Richard Rohr. And he writes, Wisdom emerges when we can see everything in our lives, but we eliminate none of it. In fact, we include all of it as important training to be who we are. So you see everything... You judge little, and you forgive much. And this communicates to me that we need to include all the things of our lives. We need to learn to be able to look back on the history of how we got to where we are today. The good, the bad, the ugly, all the things that have caused the bumps and the bruises. And we include it because that's the wisdom of learning to live how God made us to be today. The wisdom emerges when we can see everything in our lives but we eliminate none of it. So in these two passages, we see this practice of accountability first, and we see this practice of forgiveness. And I think it's really interesting uh, in this whole realm of accountability, just to be quite honest with you, um, more times than not, Jeff and I will get a phone call from somebody in the community, and they will call us and they will say, I need to tell you something. So-and-so is doing da-da-da-da-da. So-and-so, you need to go talk to that person because they're fill-in-the-blank, and you, you can assume that you know whatever that might be. And then what we will say, well, have you talked to so-and-so? And they'll say, well, no, but we would like you to. And then, and then, I'll, and then, then this is the kicker. But please don't tell them that we sent you. <laughs> so, okay, so this is like Matthew 18 everywhere, right? Right? So... We get a phone call because we're supposed to go talk to so-and-so when this middle person hasn't talked to so-and-so, but they don't want us to use their name because so-and-so would get mad if that person knew that we knew 
that they told us what they were doing. Come on, help me out. All right, so in this passage, Jesus is saying there is a way to work out your problems with one another. And there is a way to keep one another accountable for what's happening in life. Okay? So the accountability is kind of like one of those things that's like best solved backwards. Right? So you imagine that you're like, you, you get to the place where you know something's gone wrong. And you know that this person, so-and-so, is doing this. But what happens is, is if you don't pay attention to the history of how you got to that place, you've forgotten all along that relationship and love and care and taking care of one another is what is kind of supposed to precede getting to the place where you're worried about so-and-so. Does that make sense? So if we were living out the kingdom as God has called us to do on this earth, where we live and move and breathe for one another, like Brayden, they sang just beautifully when we first started out, it's us for them. If we learn to do that, then when it gets to the moment where we're concerned about what so-and-so is doing or we're, we're genuinely worried about their lives, it's far easier to receive that information when that person knows that you genuinely care about them. That you're not just concerned because a problem has come up, but that you've journeyed with them to get to where they are. Does that make sense? So that, that I won't get a phone call for you to tell me that so-and-so needs me, but you can be that person's friend and go right to them. You go to that person and you try to work it out. If that doesn't work, you involve another person and you say, okay, we want a third party. We need to have some accountability here. If that doesn't work, then you involve the church. If that doesn't work, it says go back to the drawing board. Go back to square one and try to have a conversation with that person because your care and your love for them should be what trumps all of that. But relationships don't work if they aren't built on relationship. (laughs) Caring and loving and being that support for one another. It's far easier to receive that information from a, a brother or a sister when you know that they have a genuine heart and care for your life and they want the best thing for you. The second part, you know, here is, is this, this forgiveness. And Jesus tells a story, which we've already mentioned. And it's interesting to me because he definitely tries to completely erase this idea that it's a numeric amount of times that you should forgive this person. Like as if, like after seven times, the eighth time, you're like, oh, I can't forgive you anymore because I've already forgiven you seven times. No. Jesus says, that's crazy. He says, I'm so sorry. I'm really distracted by this. Um, He says, in fact, 70 times 7, and what he's trying to do is just basically blow up that whole idea of a numeric amount. He's saying that there is not a limit. There is no boundary on when we stop forgiving one another. We just keep doing it. And he, the way that he models this in his living and his ministry is that it's, it's like his heartbeat. It's, it's his breath. It's the way that he lives and moves with humanity is that forgiveness is just an overflow of who he is all the time. And that's what he's asking us to do. Because, you know, the king in the story and the, the servant who owed the $100,000 who was forgiven that great debt is, is just like you and I. And we have this father relationship that we've been extended mercy and forgiveness no matter how many times we come back, no matter how many times we ask for it to be given to us. It already has. 
he's just waiting for us to ask him. And so then in turn, we are to take that same mercy, that same grace, and not limit it to who we give it to, but to give it to all. Each time, each and every time God forgives you, he communicates to you, I prefer a relationship with you over being right. And God is right. Like, okay, like, you know, we, we, we're, we're not God. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good thing to know. And so a lot of the things that we do that are, you know, pulling us away from who we're supposed to be, he forgives us and he draws us back in and he chooses that relationship. The need for rightness is secondary for how much that he cares about each one of us. Forgiveness is learning to go back and letting go of the hope that you want things to be different or you want things to be better or wish you could change the outcome of whatever happened 10 years, 20 years ago. But you look back and you include all of those things because it's gotten you to be where you are and who you are today. The act of forgiving doesn't always involve the things that we think it will involve. And sometimes the reality is there's people in your life that you need to forgive that you probably don't ever want to see face-to-face again. And, you may, and maybe it's not possible because of the, the severe brokenness or the, you know, the, the nature of why your relationship broke in the first place. But it is the letting go and it is the forgiving that actually helps set you free for you. So whether or not it's a face-to-face, like you're having a conversation, I forgive you and you have that There's this opportunity for us to be able to let go of the things that that have weighed us down for time and time and time again. I know people in my family, you know, thinking of my grandma being 97, we, we have kind of this longevity thing going on in my family. But there are a lot of people in my family that are holding on to things with each other that they won't talk about and they won't let go. And it's eating them alive. What are the things that you might be carrying or the burdens of unforgiveness that are harming you, that are doing you more harm than that other person probably is even unaware of? So I'm going to tell you guys a story, um, and then we're going to kind of shift gears for a little bit in the the service today. But so when Jeff and I came to Bryson City in 2006— um, number one, I'd never heard of Bryson City. I didn't even know what, what, where Bryson City was. And Jeff um, had convinced me to come here for a job interview. And at the time that we came here, I was heartbroken from the church. And I actually told Jeff, like, you cannot ever make me work at a church again because I do not want to do it. And we had been at a church. Um, we had our little Maisie and Cannon um, does anybody remember Cannon when we first moved here? Who was here? Oh my gosh. If you ever want to see a cute baby, oh, Cannon. Um, all my kids are cute, but he had this wild hair. He kind of looked like, uh, cl- like, um, what's that crazy clown hair? His hair was like real sporadic and curly. It was, he was awesome. But anyway, so we, we had our hearts broken severely by the church. And I told Jeff, I, I, I will not work at a church again. I don't want to go through the pain for our family. I, I don't want to have that pressure. I hate being, like, like, I hate the feeling that everybody's watching us, our marriage, and how we're raising our kids. I just, I don't want anything to do with it. 
I mean, anything basically sounded better to me than coming back to working at a church. I was, like, begging for, like, the nine-to-five opportunity. You know, I, I thought that sounded so much better than, than coming and working in another church environment. So I guess little did I know that I really needed the healing of whatever the mountains were, were going to bring to me all those years ago. I really had no idea. So Jeff, um, we had two, two places that we interviewed, and one of them was here, and one of them was at a church in Cincinnati. And I was just open. I thought, okay, I'm just going to come into the situation, and I'm going to be open to whatever, you know, God might have for our family. And when we came here, number one, I talked to, to Debbie nonstop from the airport all the way to here. I don't think Jeff ever said a word. She was the first person we met. And there was just this welcoming presence here, and there was this warmth here that I thought, okay— Maybe this is where we're supposed to be. Maybe we are supposed to land ourselves in Bryson City. So we were offered the job, and so we thought, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to come to Bryson City. So I made this ridiculous, um, like, ultimatum with God, though. <laughs> you don't, don't ever do this. Because <laughs> um, he, will, he will do what you're—he will show his—like, anyway. So this is what I did. I said— I said, all right, God, here's the deal. Like, I will come under one condition. I will not forgive this person. There was this person, a specific individual. Unless you run me into them face to face, I will not say I'm sorry. I will not forgive them for how much they hurt us. Now, that's a pretty bold thing to do because I live in, we came to the mountains of Bryson City, North Carolina. This person lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So obviously, like, I was like, all right, God, like, let's just see you do this. Um... I told you, don't do this. Don't do this. So I kind of forgot about it. We kind of dug our heels in here, and we kind of got going. And we immediately fell in love with this place. We fell in love with people here. We felt like it was an opportunity for us to heal and to experience love in a totally different way. There are relationships here that I, I cannot even imagine my life without. Like, you all are our family. Like, we don't, we don't have family here in the mountains. Now we do because of y'all. And I said um, that that wouldn't happen. But so then uh, we had been here for a year, and somehow, I have no idea how I landed this opportunity, but Debbie and I were asked to go to a small group conference in Chicago. I have no idea how we got picked to do that, but they thought it would be a good idea, so they sent us away on this journey together. (laughs) And uh, again, Debbie and I got in the car in Bryson City. We drove all the way to Chicago. We never stopped talking believe it or not. I don't think we ever took a breath. None of us, neither one of us napped. We didn't even, we just drove and talked and talked and talked and talked. So we go to this conference in Chicago and there are about, probably about 2,000 people there. Okay. Y'all know it's going to happen, right? Yeah. So we're on a break. We're in the middle of this conference. We're at a, we're on a break where we're headed to lunch and we're walking down one of the hallways and we're walking down this hallway, Debbie and I, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And she's just like, what, what is happening? I'm like, that there's the person, like, I'm, I'm walking exactly into this person, right? That I told God I would not forgive unless he ran me into them face to face. (laughs) So I ran into this person face to face and I was speechless because number one, I didn't think God would do that to me. I mean, and number two, I, I was, I was determined to maybe hold on to that for the rest of my life. Because it hurt me so bad, and I felt like it was, it was not fair what was done to our family. So I kind of gave myself my composure, and I'm like, hey, 
this is Debbie. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Debbie's a peacemaker. We had lunch together with this person. And so lunch is wrapping up. And it was kind of like, where is this going? And so I pulled them aside. I said, listen, I told God this crazy thing that if I was going to ever forgive you, he was going to have to run me right into your path. And he did. And I never thought that would happen. So I forgive you. And I'm sorry. And I'm crying. And he's crying. And, you know, we hugged. And it was just this beautiful moment where it was like, I knew that God had that moment happen because I needed to let that go. And I needed to give church another chance. And I needed to open my heart up to relationships here in Bryson City that probably I never would have. The risk for all of the bumps in the road was that re- that relationship was repaired. And now, this is probably the most beautiful part of the story is, you guys are all part of that story now too because guess what church we go to Guatemala with every year? Grand Rapids, Michigan. So now, once a year, we take a trip with these people from this church because somehow God knew that it was important for me to repair that relationship and for me to let that go. Forgiveness literally set me free. And I've had an opportunity uh, time and time and time again to um, open my heart back up to people, to take that risk, to tell you guys, I adore you. I love you. I, I want to get to know you. I want you to know my family I want to be able to forgive. I want you to forgive me because we we journey together because we choose each other, right? And because we choose each other, we're able to display what the kingdom is meant to display here on earth. It's it's heaven on earth, right? It's it's the opportunity for grace and love and mercy and peace and forgiveness to, to be displayed for everybody to see. So one of the most important parts about journeying with one another is being able to pay attention to stories. And over the last several weeks, we've had the opportunity to listen in to some really powerful stories of, from you, of, of how you found this place. Why are you here? Like, why have you hung out with us for all this time? And we feel like it's an, an important way for you to get a picture of what's going on with some of your brothers and sisters right here in this place. And so... Um, we're going to kind of shift gears today, and I've asked my friend Meredith. Um, she's going to come on up, and she's going to tell you a story of how she came to uh, the Grove and, and what it's meant to her. And then, um, so I want you guys to welcome her and to listen to her to share. Hi, I'm uh, Meredith Boniwam, and um Coming to the Grove has definitely been a journey. Um, I didn't grow up in church, and um, I had a lot of questions about Jesus. And um, I, my husband and I, we moved here back in 2004, and um, that was the first year that we met Liz. And um, we have been friends with Liz since then, and um, in 2006, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And um, had to move back to Raleigh. And then um, that was followed up by a, a lot of other health issues that followed in the years. And um, in 2012, I went to the Mayo Clinic for um, one of those issues. And um, 
while I was there, I talked with a chaplain, and the cool thing about the Mayo Clinic is that they incorporate art, spirituality, and um, in the process of healing. And so when I talked with a chaplain, um, he said, go back, when you go back to the mountains, find a church, get into the community. He goes, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it doesn't matter, but find those people. Um, and he said, because it'll help in the healing and in your life. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. And, um, because the issue that I had was I wanted to find a church that was open, loving, that wasn't going to turn the doors and that wasn't going to judge me for the questions that I, that I needed to ask. Um, Liz had been talking to us uh, for a while, like, you guys need to come check this church out. And um, we knew that she was in the band and did a lot of stuff. And we're like, nah, okay. And um, we ran into Liz and AJ after we moved back up here to the mountains. And um, I remembered what that chaplain said. We, we saw Liz and AJ were playing at City Lights. And I went up to Liz and I, um, I whispered. I was like, hey, can I go to church with you on Sunday? And uh, she was like, yeah, sure, come on. And ever since then, I, um, I, when I first came here, I found the, a church in the mountains of North Carolina that was open and loving and um, that helped me along in the process and didn't judge me with the questions that I needed to help me answer. And um, so that's just part of the journey. Meredith is one of the awesome ones. There's a lot of us in here, I think. One of the, uh, some of the marriage advice I have is never do anything you need to forgive him for. And after 10 years of marriage, like so far, so good. Right, baby? Yeah. Anyway. Everybody knows that's not true. <laughs> Mostly my wife. But, yeah, it's, it's glad to be back. Uh, last week I was with the little people community, uh, the, the monkeys back there, and then we were gone for a couple weeks, and then before that we were back. So I haven't been here in like a month in the, in the sanctuary, and, and happy to rock out uh, with the band today and see familiar faces and see some new faces too. It's always, it was always awesome. Also, I had a chance to take a look at the giving tree and see that some of the leaves ha have fallen as, you know, fall approaches, but uh, there's still uh, some opportunity there. Uh, Jeff said uh, today, uh, because of the efforts and, and the, extra, the extra giving, um, there's going to be an, another one of the, the AC units uh, uh, installed this week, uh, which is great. And, and thank you for all uh, for contributing to that. The idea behind the giving tree uh, was to give and be a, uh, above and beyond uh, the normal. Some of the, the normal has taken a hit uh, because of, you know, the additional giving. But like, one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, be able to, to dig a little bit deeper um, 
and part of that, you know, looking at or thinking about some of the things I was going to say up here, I was looking at uh, Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. This is where Paul writes about being the, the cheerful giver. Uh, the cheerful giver in what each person has decided in their heart without, he talks about reluctance or compulsion. And then the thing I was reading, I forget, I can't quote it. If you want that, you can look me up. But uh, it's hilero, which is the Greek word for cheerful, which that is pretty, I thought that was just interesting note. Um, and I know at times uh, giving can be stressful. Uh, you know, you start looking at the bank account. Like you, you have unexpected things that, that hit you. Uh, can be scary. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, quite honest, if we we're honest, it's, self, it's just selfish uh, with our lack of giving. Um, but then there's God always promises us and reassures us. Uh, for his eye is on the sparrow, or, or Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that's not prosperity gospel. That's, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to run you into somebody that you don't want to see. He's going to, you know, you're going to have difficult circumstances uh, that you have to deal with. But some of this is what is our focus, you know, and and that the focus is knowing Christ in this life uh, and the end game and being with him in the next. Uh, This context, it's, it's kingdom work that we have to do down here. Uh, so my focus isn't so much on the money or security or comfort, but God's gifts are not meant to bless us, but to bless others, as it was like Paul talks about in the early church. You know, and they're gathering money, one, to support the people within their church, their community, where two or three are gathered, uh, but also to help, you know, I kind of like to think of them as like the dirtbag saints uh, who, you know, have a mission, who have a focus, who are thinking kingdom work. And I think if we have our eyes and our hearts on a thing God wants us to do, I think the money we possess becomes a poor measure of our true wealth. Um, I think that's all I got for now. But I have also realized I forgot to get anybody to help me with the baskets. So think about who wants to do that. The band's going to sing, and then I'm going to come back up here. A little bit sheepish. We'll pray and we'll uh, get this thing going. Yes.